0: live from our sanctum Sanctorum in venice california this is the Sixth sense society i'm your host krista here with our producer michael and today we are excited to have back on the show lama kathy wesley and she's going to be talking about the concept of heaven and hell in tibetan buddhist tradition or i don't know maybe all of buddhist tradition i'm not quite sure about that but before we get started, uh, I also wanted to mention for you folks that don't know about Lama Kathy. She has been a student of Kempo Kartha Rinpoche since 1977, and she participated in the first three year retreat led by Kempo Kartha Rinpoche at Karma Ling Retreat Center in upstate New York and thus earned the title of Retreat Lama. And she now serves as a resident teacher at the Columbus KTC. So we're thrilled to have her back. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our broadcast, our second to last show. Next week is the last one for the year, and then we take a break in December, and we'll be back in January with a new start time. We'll be at 2 p.m. in the uh, Tuesday afternoons, and going to push it a little bit late later to give us more time to troubleshoot if we have some problems. Anyway, um, get all the information on our website, six S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out. And next week, our guest will be Master Chaos, who we're going to talk about some paranormal stuff in cinema and so forth. He's a big cinema file as well as paranormal guy, and really very entertaining it should be a lot of fun and a nice nice light show to end our year on so uh, thank you all of you guys who supported us if you're on our website you can afford to buy us a coffee on ko-fi but the main thing click like and subscribe and that that really helps great deal gets youtube to pay attention to us so do us a favor and do that for sure so i'm not going to take up too much time because it's a great topic and i always love having Lama kathy so without further ado take it away krista
0: great thank you michael and welcome
2: Lama kathy
1: Hi, it's wonderful to be with
2: you this afternoon. I see I have a sunbeam. Look, I have a sunbeam ah. that's chasing me, uh, chasing me around the room. So
0: I, <laughs> that's a good this, omen. Uh,
2: this particular uh, this particular broadcast, I'm coming to you from the Columbus Karma Take Some Choling Tibetan Buddhist Meditation Center in downtown Columbus, Ohio. So downtown Columbus to downtown Venice. Happy to be here.
0: Thank you. It looks beautiful. Yes. And I, I know you, you've, the monastery was finished. How long ago was it finished now? Uh...
2: Yeah, we, we finished, uh, we finished our Dharma Center in March of this year. And uh, we, uh, and we've been meeting here weekly ever since. And it's, uh, it's been fun to come back to our neighborhood because we missed it for mm. the six years that we were gone. But, uh, but it's, it's lovely to be here. Mm. Uh, it just is. Uh, that's <laughs> so great. I'm so happy for you. you it's lovely to be anywhere you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh it's wonderful and the shrine looks beautiful behind you
2: ah uh, this is our temporary shrine and it looks like the sunbeam is just going to keep chasing me around the room so I'm gonna have to just just accept the sunbeam but uh yeah um we're it really is just our temporary shrine we're going to uh, we're going to have some of these uh, statues were with us during our fire mm. and that uh, Uh, And then uh, after the fire, they were rescued from the building. And uh, so they're going to become part of our new shrine, which is going to fill this whole wall with cabinetry. And we're going to have some beautiful statuary that will be really inspiring for the people who are sitting here and meditating every week with us.
0: Oh, I can't wait to see that. And yeah, I I do love all the basically Buddhist artwork. It's amazing how much love and also craftsmanship go into a lot of it. So it's really it is inspiring, I think. So, yeah, let's get started I, I, on the topic. So heaven, and now I had suggested the the Hell realm, and then you came back with Heaven and Hell. So I really like that uh, version better actually. So what would you like to start with?
2: Well, you know, I think that um I think that every single uh, faith tradition in humanity has some idea of of suffering and understanding of suffering. Uh, and uh, and that suffering is of many many kinds, and many of the suffering we have, many of the sufferings we experience, are uh, sadly of our own making. And so the Buddhist teaching uh, on what are called the uh, six realms of existence that that all beings uh, can be categorized in um, uh, these, all of these six realms can exist in one human life or among humanity or cosmologically from the uh what they call the three worlds in buddhism the world below the earth the world on the earth and the world above the earth they call it the three worlds which basically means all of the universe and so all of these beings are of six different types and they and they actually correspond to what are called realms or 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 universes, but what's really interesting about it is that these are actually both states of mind and physical locations. And so um, every single religion has some concept of a world of happiness that they call heaven. And then every religion has a world of, of suffering that they call hell. But what's interesting about the Buddhist teaching on heaven and hell is that it depends on the individual, whether you're in heaven or whether you're in hell. So in some ways, heaven is right here in this life. And in some ways, hell is right here in this life. And so we can actually choose uh, from moment to moment, which of the six realms we're inhabiting? So, when we talked about the hungry ghost realm the last time, we talked about the 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 um, uh, the karmic experience of a person who's a hungry ghost that they are never satisfied, that they always want more and more and more, and that we can see this uh, in reflected in Buddhist cosmology, Buddhist mythology and that the uh, hungry ghost is depicted as having a very big stomach and a very tiny mouth and you know and and in this sort of iconography of suffering they uh, it's very obvious why they are suffering hunger and thirst because they have tiny little mouths and big stomachs so the idea is that When we starve ourselves in some ways, then we're also leading to a situation where we're always in a a position of of poverty and need. Now, heaven and hell are actually, uh, they come about from two different states of, of mind. Just as the hungry ghost realm comes about because of miserliness and stinginess, that develops us into the hungry ghost kind of person. There's also the heaven and the hell kind of person. The, the the heaven kind of person thinks that they're better than everyone else. They're sort of arrogant and they're very prideful. And they think that they have somehow made it in this life and that they're yeah. in this amazing place and uh and that it is the result of a lot of goodness that they have done in the past that they are in this this experience of happiness and pleasure and and like you know uh, what do they call it a friction-free life you Mm. know where there's no trouble but the problem with that is is that the all of the good karma that they are they have accumulated that gives rise to this experience makes them very arrogant and that when those days are gone when the money's gone so to speak the karmic the good karma has been spent mm. then they begin to have a lot of suffering because they see that they are actually still in the cosmos of suffering that the Buddha called samsara, mm. that they're still in it. They, they thought that they were like above all of that in heaven, and they were like out of all of the suffering. But then at the end of their lives, they look down and say, I've spent all my karma. It's it's all gone now. <gasps> There's only one way for me, and that is down. Mm. They have this intense suffering in, in the last days of their life. That even though they think they're gods, they're like gods, they think, wow, I'm beyond all this. When their vision changes and they see where that they have spent all of their good karma on pleasure, then they end, they see where they're going. And it's very terrifying.
0: It's interesting Here's, because uh, in Christianity, a little bit I understand is heaven seems to be a place you want to go to. And... Uh, so, but I don't really know more than that. I mean, because I, I I wasn't a practicing Christian, and here in the six realms, the heavenly realm is not necessarily the best realm for enlightenment.
2: It isn't because the uh, because the if we talk about the six realms in general, uh, hell is unremitting suffering, and it you know what brings hell about anger and hatred. So when the person is spending their life just working on their anger, working on their hatred, and acting out their anger and hatred, it's like they're burning all the time. It's like they're on fire all the time. And so hell is that experience that is born from hatred and anger. And, uh, and so we can see that, that that's a very difficult situation. And then the hungry ghost is the next realm up. They're actually better off than the hell beings because they have a couple of moments where they don't have torment. Then the animal realm is uh, is also it all has its own suffering of of being uh, of being a predator or a prey. Mm. You know, instinct. And people are guided or beings are guided by their instincts, and it comes from chosen ignorance. They choose ignorance, and that's how they end up in the animal realm and the human realm. That's us. And we're the ones who suffer from poverty and and constant toil to just get nowhere. Right. Right. And so it it's born from attachment and wanting. Then the the jealous gods, they think that they deserve all the things that the gods have. And so they're always fighting. And so that's their experience is always fighting and scrapping. And then the gods, they think they have it made, but they're all suffering they, th- You know, the, right. the gods think they're above all that and that they're finished with all that, but they're actually all just stuck in samsara. And so the, the Buddha's advice was, if you want to get off the wheel of suffering, then you need to look within at the, what is projecting this experience the you know you don't you see what i'm saying it's like you you look at the mind that is experiencing hell you look at the mind that's experiencing the ghost realm the animal realm the human realm you look at that mind that's having that experience and then you begin to understand and free our we we understand and then free ourselves from the negative actions that lead to this suffering over and over again. So hell doesn't last forever in Buddhism and heaven doesn't last forever in Buddhism. And they're really neither one of them are places you want to go. It's said in Buddhism that the very best realm is the human realm where interestingly enough, we can visit the suffering of hell Mm. living right here as a human being. We can visit it. We've been that angry sometimes, where we're like, on absolutely,
0: fire. absolutely. You know what? And I, I, I list, I read uh, um quick view about hell and transcending madness, and I hadn't read it for years. And one of the things that I found really striking that I think many people can relate to is he talks about this one-upmanship being a form of aggression and how you can have this aggression with your friend and you can say, well, I'm better than this person because I'm smarter, I'm more intelligent. And I thought, well, who hasn't thought that? Who hasn't experienced it, especially in the day and age where you're supposed to market yourself and and become a brand, which I, I hate that word. I, I will not become a brand. I'm sorry, I just can't do it. <laughs> brand to me is like some kind of cereal, you know? <laughs> and so- right. um, I read it, and and it was that that what you were saying that experience and, and of, of how that builds up this aggression and how he talks about how it's suffocating, and there's no spaciousness, and it's, it it really makes you realize a that we all have some moments of hell and some many moments of hell, and also how to get out of hell, and which right. is, I would think be very important <laughs> as
2: well. Okay, I'm here. Oh, how oh. can I get out of it? <laughs> I, I get that. I hear that. And, and see, and I think that for those of us who are becoming self-aware, we, when we become self-aware, we see what we do. We see the things that we do habitually. At first, we're sort of swimming in the story of our everyday life. We're just swimming in this story of I'm the good guy, they're the bad guy. I have to overpower the bad guys in my life to get what I want. And, and that, that's where Trungpa talks about the lack of spaciousness because if we, if we go to the, the, the core teachings of Buddhism, what the core teachings of Buddhism say about an individual is that we are a body and a mind. We're a body and a mind. And the body is called the fully ripened result of our mind, which has never been created by anyone and will never go out of existence. And so in a way, we are—we have our mind is a continuity that goes through many, many different experiences, even in this lifetime. Mm. So okay, even in this lifetime we go through many experiences and that's why we can visit hell, we can visit heaven and and it all depends on what is happening inside our minds and what we choose what we the the thoughts, the feelings and emotions that we choose to cultivate within ourselves. There's a famous Zen story that's told about heaven and hell. And Pema Chodron tells this story in one of her books, the the Buddhist author Pema Chodron. She wrote, Start Where You Are, one of the the great books about training the mind in love and compassion. And and she said, there's a a samurai story in which a a, a Buddhist monk is sitting in, in silent meditation, and a samurai warrior comes up to him and says, Monk, he's got his hand on, you know, the samurai has his hand on the hilt of his sword and says, Monk, tell me, you know, tell me about heaven and hell. And uh, and the monk looks up and says, Why would I tell an ugly slob like you about heaven and hell? <laughs> <laughs> and the samurai, of course, now being disrespected now the samurai being disrespected not only has his hand on the hilt of his sword he draws his sword and he raises it and he's going to strike the monk dead that's what he wants to do he's like there and then the monk looks up at him and says that's hell <laughs> And, okay, then the samurai realizes that he's almost killed a man of the cloth, right? He's almost killed a holy being who was just testing him. He he almost struck him dead. Mm-hmm. And he realizes what happens. And the samurai falls to his knees. He drops his sword. He falls to his knees and he begins to weep. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the monk looks down at him and said, that's heaven so to me this story is illustrative of heaven is right here and hell is right here that moment of, of utter blind rage mm. that's hell and the sublimeness of surrender the sublimeness of of realizing who we have been, and what we have done, and feeling the intensity of grief, and love, and loss. It, the idea is that we touch our our heart in these moments, and that is what gives rise to the feeling of heaven, this softness, this spaciousness, this openness. Mm. And I think uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche talks about it in his books, Pema Chodron talks about it in her books, and that this is available to us when we can drop the story. And this is where meditation comes in and why meditation is so important in Buddhism. Because if we don't, if we're not self-aware, we dive into the story that, of what we think is happening. The monk feeling, disres- I mean, I'm sorry, the oh. samurai feeling disrespected by the monk and the blind rage he believed in the story that he did not want to be called that name Mm. he did not want to see himself in that way and he thought that by striking down the monk he would strike down that which was the ugly individual inside him right you know so the the threat he saw as being external was really internal
0: you know what's sad is michael and i we watch a lot of homicide shows And it's crazy what people murder over. And it'll even be things like disrespect. And Mm -hmm. it's really eye-opening and and totally tragic. I don't know what I thought. I thought there would be more murders based on passion of something logical, but sometimes it's something completely trivial like that. And I mean, obviously there's a background of a cycle in that person's mind who would murder someone over something so small but it, it, it really can. You can see that illustration of the samurai in, in the world. I mean, it, it's not that that part isn't that hard to see,
2: actually. Mm-hmm. And this is what I think is very concerning when we look at society as a whole, in that um, somebody was talking uh, about uh, the the uh, the level of modern discourse online and on television and and, and so forth that it's like uh, i they actually called it the angertainment industry ooh that's accurate <laughs> the, the, okay the angertainment industry the idea that by making people angry you get attention by saying something outrageous and being cruel the, with the with mm. the max dialing up the maximum cruelty being the what gets you more, the most attention and so i think that if we realize where this is taking us then we really do i mean if we realize where this sort of anger industry where people make money mm outrage and anger. It's like a drug. And I think that this is what produces so much hell in this world now, and it always has, is that some people find it useful to make other people angry so that they can control those other people. Right. They could just be like the head demon in one neighborhood of hell. But okay. I mean, they're they're basically right. They're just like, I'm going in, in, you know, I'm going to be the head demon in this little neighborhood of hell and I'm going to have power over all these people. And when I when I push the button, they will jump. And that is so cool. And that's and that's kind of, I think, where the the sort of addictive quality of anger comes from yeah and and you
0: know what trump says about that that's interesting too he talks about there are two things he said in transcending madness um one he says it's like eating yourself inwardly and initially you sort of get some energy from that and the other thing that struck me what he said was um you end up in the hell realm you have to have relationships in order to um end up there. So like what you're saying is, is you can it doesn't just come from your own neurosis, which I guess some other States do. It's has to do with relationship. And I thought that was a really key and obvious thing that I hadn't thought about that aggression is built on successfully mm-hmm. relationship, just as you're saying, like, I'm going to get all these people riled up and they're going to feed me this energy that's false. But at the time it makes me feel bigger.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think and I think that as human beings, we are social beings. We are social beings. It's just the way it is. We're, we're, you know, and that what happens is we enter into a relationship and what we end up seeing in other people is the things we see in ourselves. When we see something bad in another person, and we become judgmental to that other person. That actually, if we pay attention to what we are judging in the other person, we can actually see it as being our own, uh, our own f- uh, flaw or failing. Uh, my, I have a lot of friends, uh, as I've mentioned on previous uh, broadcasts. I've, I have a lot of friends in the twelve-step recovery tradition, and they have a saying, and the saying is, "You can if you can spot it, you got it." If you spot it, you got it. So if you if you're judging that uh, other person saying, well, that other person needs to be more patient or that other person needs to do this or needs to do that, the relationship actually can give us good information about ourselves mm. if we allow the relationship to give us that information. When we judge others, we're actually also judging ourselves. There's parts of I, us that I, I'm mixed it-
0: about that. I, I think there is some truth in that and there's some not truth because for instance, I'll watch these homi- homicide shows and I really don't have a lot of judgment about them. I'm just kind of like amazed. And I also know in the right circumstance, I probably could murder someone. I am not fooled to think that I could never do that. But there is that kind of judgment that has, a, I think, kind of- um, Uh, I don't know, vibration to it, a a, a resonance where you're always picking on that issue. That I think is a reflection of something I have not accepted in myself or I've overly repressed. Um, Like um, for me, it has to do with Uh, narcissism so I'm really kind of triggered by narcissists but there might be a part of me that needs a little narcissism like needs a little bit of ego and I'm Mm trying I'm I'm too out of balance like I'm not being human about it like okay now and then I like a little attention that's okay so I think Mm -hmm. it's more like that for me from my own observation that there are some things that that I feel capable of but I don't judge the other person I Mm -hmm. I'm sort of like wow I hope I don't ever get in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I look well, at that's it. That's right. <laughs> and,
2: well, see, this is and this is the difference between uh, uh, an un uh, what is it an unexamined life and an examined life. You know, when we it can examine our own motivations mm. and we can examine our own behavior and actually have a self awareness of our own place in this world. If we are, if we have an examined mind and an examined life, we can see things in a more balanced way. Like it's, it's not that we have those bad qualities within us, but the idea is that we need to pay attention. Mm. We need to pay attention to this, and as you say, you saw that uh, that particular trait in someone, and said, "Well, I hope I never get to that spot." But yes, we all need balance. We need to have a little bit of self care. We need to have a, we need to have confidence. We need to have all of these things. But do we need to try to overpower other people? No emotionally right and try to control and overpower and control people and this is i think where the trouble starts for us because it becomes a you know a little bit of a slippery slope well you know like i need to teach that person a lesson you know
0: oh yeah no and it always it always comes back on you too you know that's what's amazing about that and and there are also nuances and subtleties around these concepts too that are a little harder to identify initially um, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes you'll see that even like I'll see that with, you know, maybe two friends kind of like talking. Mm-hmm. You kind of see the one person is trying to share something. The other one has, oh, a better story that they want to share. And and it's it's, yeah. it's not a huge thing, but it is, you, you know, you can kind of notice it. you're like, oh, that person wants to kind of top that story in the moment. And uh, so I think, like you said, the examined life is really the key. And that seems to be true of many, many spiritual paths really emphasize the examined life and, and also being okay when we're not there yet. Like one of the things that made it easier for me is I'd say, you know what, I'm just not quite there yet. I'm okay with that. Like I've, I'm doing the best I can in this one particular problem I have, and i I'm, I've improved this much, but I know I have more to go, but I'm okay with that because that seems to also help as if you sort of say it's okay to be where I'm at with that particular imperfection.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think that this is really valuable. I'm, I'm really glad you shared that idea because um, I remember uh, one, of, uh, one of my teachers, um, his eminence, Tai Situ Rinpoche, he, he said, I really need for all of you to think about this. He said, realize that you are always doing your best. And actually everybody else is always doing their best. And he said, the reason for this is that any moment in time, we are the summary of everything that came before. And that that's, we cannot be anywhere else than where we are right now. Mm-hmm. And that there will be days when that's great, but there will be days when it's really in the pits and we're just not, we're not at our best but we are doing our best see and that's the thing if we can if we can have a sense of humor about ourselves and kind of chuckle a bit like oh there i go trying to run the world you know uh, i've talked about this before that my husband and i have agreed that whenever we have a disagreement Uh, That we would uh, kind of look at each other and say, you know, but you could be more like me if you just try. I told that story, uh, I think a couple of episodes ago, because because it was it was basically a story about one of my husband's coworkers who had an extremely high opinion, high opinion of himself. And he used to and he but he was really not a nice guy. And he would say, well, you know, everybody, you know, what's wrong with the people in this world? They could be more like me if they just try, which of course is comical because he didn't have that. That kind of personality you'd want to emulate. <laughs> but, but, the, but making that agreement that we will accept the fact that, you know, here I am trying to change you. It isn't that funny. And here I go trying to run the world. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, this idea of examining and being willing to look and to actually take one step back from our story, you know, the story, like I'm a good person. That person's obviously in the wrong. And, mm-hmm. and just, cause that's what leads to that disrespect that leads to harm is where we can't disengage. We can't step back from the story, cannot disengage. And this is why all of the disciplines of meditation and uh, and prayer and this kind of all of these spiritual practices can help us to take that step back. And when we take the step back, the story begins to fall apart, and we begin to see things as they really are, as opposed to how we think they might be. and and that leads us into more empathetic behavior, mm-hmm. you know and, and not and less judgment. And I think that's why Sitrimbache told us, recognize that you are always doing your best and recognize that everybody else is always doing their best on any given day that best could or should be somewhere else but here we are
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I like that I also find that the more I've accepted my shortcomings if I Mm -hmm. see it in someone else I have to admit I'll go oh yeah I can relate to that (laughs) I said I I've been there (laughs) so you know uh, it's, it's, it's a long process. I mean, I think that, again, I think I mentioned this a long time ago. I was, I'm really glad that when I was a young woman, I met, uh, a system that allows you to take your time that, that it, that in Buddhism it does take time that that's okay that it takes time instead of this instantaneous culture we're in where you know you're a master reiki now in three weekends and i uh, it's it's ridiculous and it it takes away even from what is the concept of a master if it takes only three weekends to become a master reiki teacher (laughs) you know it's like and and so i i think that for me that was one of the really beneficial teachings I got when I was really young that it made me relax a little bit on my progress
2: mm-hmm. oh I think we need that because um uh, see and this and this brings us back to heaven and hell doesn't it because because the uh because in some faith traditions the idea is that there is you know that there is a great, Separation, you know, of of beings in the after death state, and that some of them are going into a, a pit of suffering forever, and some of them are going to a reward forever. Whereas Buddhism sees us more as being on a continuum and uh, and moving along that continuum, mm. so that we, so that we're we actually do have the chance to improve every moment of every day, which is why. The examination of our moment-to-moment thoughts, feelings, and emotions is so important, and that self-awareness is so important, and that's why meditation becomes so important, because that allows us to build that spaciousness that Trungpa talks about. Because when you're when you're sitting in meditation and you're just doing one thing, watching the breath come in, watching the breath go out. And just being with that technique and process, then the thoughts rise and fall and you can see the thoughts rise and fall and see they're really nothing inside because you get like a big ugly thought while you're meditating and then it just disappears mm. in a moment. yeah and that, and that was heaven or that was hell. and it's it's just disappeared out of, out of, out of view suddenly. And, and so what we, and so that begins to allow us to see the possibility that we could actually change where we are in a moment. We can change where we are instantaneously, you know, and, and it's not going to be forever. The only thing that's kind of forever is spiritual awakening. And Mm. that is, you know, and then once you're spiritually awakened, you can visit, people in hell you can visit people in heaven and uh, and try to help them understand that they're still in a cycle that they're you know that they can they can be free
0: well i have a question that. about the visitation of the hell realms uh isn't it true that Chenrezig emptied the hell realms more than one time and then if so uh, is, is that really possible for someone else to help at least temporarily remove people from the hell realms or is that more of just a story
2: to meditate on? You know, I, I actually, um, I, if we look at this life, let's let's look at this life, and because I think this life offers us uh, offers us some uh, ideas about this, um, because uh, this life that we are living right now is like the big cosmological story in a small in a small space, so if you look at your own life, there may have been a time in your life where you were feeling deep despair or deep sadness or deep pain. And someone maybe reached out to you and said, here, let me help you. And in that moment that that person helped you, you feel relieved. Mm. Was that relief permanent? no it was not permanent because we're we're still in samsara Mm. so because we're still in samsara our pain may have been relieved for a little while but we still have to keep moving along the continuum of spiritual development hoping to continue moving in an upward direction so that we can use the skills we have learned to help other people. And so yes, I do believe that it's possible for beings who are awakened to to help and to reach out to people in in lower states of existence mm. and help them at least for a little while to relieve their suffering. And this is this is actually depicted in verse. If you're if this, this is kind of an interesting story, um I I I often compare it to uh, a story in the bible but anyway um there's um uh, there's a chapter in the guide uh, there's a book called the way of the bodhisattva by Shanti Deva, uh, who he lived in the eighth century was a buddhist scholar and monastic and he was asked to give a, a talk and he gave this masterful 10 chapter talk that lasted and lasted and lasted and in the final chapter he has like a vision not not like revelations bible vision you know of like the the horseman of the apocalypse and all that stuff it's not quite like that kind of vision mm-hmm. i'll call it a buddhist kind of vision and in his in his work he is trying to talk about the logical conclusion of a life that is spent in service to others, working on our own negativity, purifying our own negative mental afflictions, working on virtuous mind. And then what that person becomes capable of doing, of doing after they reach Buddhahood or awakening. So he has this vision of hell. And in all these beings are in hell and they're talking to each other. And they say, friends, friends, gather quickly here, because look in the sky. And, uh, and so all these beings in hell are looking up. And Chenrezig appears to them, the bodhisattva of compassion that you're talking about, appears to them. And they go running to him. And then, um, and they say, you know, uh, they also talk about Vajrapani, another one of the Bodhisattvas appearing in hell, and Manjushri, another one of the Bodhisattvas appearing in hell. So these, this triumvirate of Bodhisattvas, uh, which, who, who symbolize the body, speech, and mind of the Buddha, but that's a whole nother Mm. topic. But, you know, these three Bodhisattvas appearing in hell and relieving the suffering of beings in hell. Mm. So and so the idea to me that's just i cry when i when i read this because this is you know we start our our path of awakening with just the wish to benefit others mm. maybe a little maybe may i benefit sentient beings who i see and interact with and may and so this little tiny wish to be a better person this little tiny wish to have goodness in our life that we then nurture and grow and develop and nurture and grow and develop, then it can flower as awakening Buddhahood and liberation from this wheel of suffering so that we can actually go and touch those beings in hell and lift them up, even if it's just for a little while. Mm -hmm. I think it's totally worth doing. Totally worth doing.
0: It, it's a challenge in the real sense. I think we talked about this on one of the shows. We talked about violence in society and um, anger is is an interesting one for me because I I had repressed it when I was young a lot. I didn't even think I felt anger until I finally got in touch with it. And then it was sort of like, I would have these moments where it was like inappropriate, like how I would, I would express it. So I've off and on I've worked with anger and i certainly have not perfected it, but I have come to some points where I can handle other people's anger without a re- uh, reacting because of my own dealing with it. And it's always interesting to me what happens. Um, if, if you don't react back to people, and I mean even inwardly, and and I don't always do that, but there are times I've been able to say, oh, let me just see what's going on here. And it's only because yeah. I've been studying it, and I even even had boyfriends, we try different things in arguments, like try different techniques, and does this work <laughs> or not. It's like an experiment, you know. So um, I, I don't know what my whole point is, but in, it, I know that anger when people are like like let's take a look at like trump you know he's always in anger and you know it's hard to have any feelings at all of wanting to help him even in meditation because he he comes across so rude and so cruel and and it's totally understandable that maybe it's easier to work with people that are are initially just suffering the consequences of poverty and not the angry people, because there's not as much, you know, of that fieriness that anger has, which is, is frightening, understandably, because it it can sometimes lead to terrible things, but not always. Sometimes it's just, you know, a bluff. Mm -hmm. So I think the teachings on anger and and wanting to feel compassionate towards some of these people, I can see where it can be challenging to even want to pray for them, let alone help them.
2: Oh, yes. I've encountered uh, many times in my life uh, as a as a teacher of Buddhism, I've encountered people at public talks who say to me, I will pray for anyone, but I won't pray for fill in the blank, you know, whoever is their least favorite person. I will never pray for that person. I will never, you know, do this. And I think that it's because um, part of us feels that um, that where part of us feels that there is an injustice being perpetrated by some people, mm-hmm. that some people are perpetrating injustice and because they're perpetrating injustice, they themselves are not deserving of, of goodness. And I think that this happens. And again, I think that um, when we allow ourselves to uh, nurse angry feelings toward any person uh wishing them ill and and so on that it again we're it's like we're drinking poison but expecting them to die Mm. and that's that's another uh phrase that was borrowed or another slogan borrowed from the 12-step tradition is that holding a grudge against someone is like drinking poison yourself and then expecting them to die right because they're That your anger doesn't change them. No. Okay. But your anger does change you. Mm -hmm. And this is where, and a lot of scientific studies has been done on the effect of cortisol, the, the anger hormone that it gets released in the body when we are nurturing feelings of anger. And that's what's so damaging this, this, uh, this injection, if you will, of cortisol It it brings on diabetes, it brings on, uh, you know, all kinds of terrible diseases and problems. And 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 yet we we hold on to the idea that if we show even an ounce of compassion toward a person who is perpetrating injustice, that 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 is somehow allowing them to have a free pass. Mm. And I think that that's where the mistake is being made. We have to see the person who is doing wrong as already being in hell. They're right. actually already there. They're actually already there. They're already in hell. So the idea is that we can maybe we can't feel compassion for them, but we can ask for whatever being we believe in to have compassion for them and to bless them. Because if we do that, then we're not actively hating them. For every moment that we're asking for some great being to bless that person and to help change their mind and make them a better person, it may or may not work, but at least we're working on who that person is to us. Because when we're holding that grudge against the person saying, I will never pray for that person, never, never, there's like something that's happening within us, some lack of acceptance, some anger almost toward ourselves. And uh, and and I think that that leads us into some really dark spaces inside of ourselves. Mm. And and I think that we need to pay attention to what we're doing, what we consciously think about, what we the stories we consciously tell ourselves. And, and and of course, there are always going to be these beings who make us who make us angry and make us upset. But what's something you just said that was very important was you can now sit with certain styles of angry expression and not react. And that means that you've come to an accommodation and understanding that it's not you. Yeah it's that that not- is
0: important. that is true and you can really not experience that anger because it isn't you it's their pain or that and it does give you a different um response you know and and that you and certainly it doesn't mean that you'll never be angry again (laughs) good luck with that one though though what I, i i also like um this and this is what i remember in the in the five buddha families that there is um with anger the positive uh, side of it is this clarity, this moment of clarity. And if you've ever been angry enough that you have this realization and that you're trying to get to that realization part. And I don't know if there's, that's a certain kind of anger, but I, I've had moments like where something has been revealed of truth. And then mm-hmm. that that was helpful to think, okay, anger has something for me, you know, that that I need to, uh, recognize and acknowledge, and and then I'll release it. Uh, so anyway, that that was always helpful for me too, even though it didn't always work all the time.
2: <laughs> well, you know, and that idea that all of the mental afflictions, you know, the five the five mental afflictions like ignorance, attachment, uh, aversion, pride, and jealousy those five basic emotions that have uh, that when they are relinquished, fully relinquished and seen through become the five wisdoms. And that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche talks about this in his book, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. And Trungpa Rinpoche uh, talks about this in his book of the uh, the eight consciousnesses and the five, I'm sorry, five Buddha families and the eight consciousnesses. Mm-hmm. He talks about this, and and but the transformational aspect of it is not accomplished by giving into the anger and letting right. it take a clover it's by seeing that the mind beneath that anger okay the mind beneath that anger is not a material thing mm-hmm. and that there you know and that that is what can help us to relinquish the stories that are being told to us by our mental afflictions and allow us to to be present with our minds and in, in all of its aspects. And so we have to basically see what mind is, which is why, again, meditation is so important. Because at first, meditation is just a technique to be able to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, when we get that's that's called shamata meditation or tranquility meditation, but it's when we get to vipassana or the insight meditation and where we meditate on the mind itself. And we see what is this mind itself, Mm. that it's not, has no color. It has no shape. It has no beginning. It has no ending in that open spaciousness. We see that, that we don't need to react to anything. Mm. Everything is actually okay at that level. And we may, well, we're, we're not living there right now, you know, so we, we go into the idea for brief moments and then we fall out of it again and back into the story mm. of our lives and all of this sort of thing. But these moments of clarity do allow us to see that other people are locked in their worlds and they can't get out. Sometimes that really it makes me incredibly sad, you know, because um, the people and this you know. I know I know you're talking about true crime and homicide stories and things like this. When I think about the people who commit mass violence, it's like they have been taken over by some type of um, of evil thought that has possessed them Mm. into thinking that this is this is what they must do and hurting others is what they must do. But when when we look at it, we all I see is the pain of a person who had so much potential in life mm. and they they just basically are drowning in this sea of anger and and hatred and and I think about hell and what that and what hell they're in right now and where it's going to lead them. And that just makes me really, really sad because it just it just, um, it's sort of it's heartbreaking, really.
0: It's true, and and I think that you know, even on a smaller level, when we remember what it's like to be angry for a long period of time, or to be jealous for a long period of time, how uncomfortable and miserable we are, even though we're in the midst of it and may not be thinking about that. And when we're free uh, from it, how much more lovely even the most simple thing is 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 that sense of well-being. Um, my own feeling is when I'm feeling like that sense of well-being, everything is fine. Like, and even just ordinary life is really pleasant and a cup of tea is really pleasant. And just, you know, and, and it, it, you don't have to have this like, you know, high or, or, or something for the ego. So I, I think that certainly, you know, on a smaller scale, regular people can sort of relate to it if they think about it. Like, well, you know, when I was feeling that way, how miserable that, that state is. And uh, which I also wanted to say that doesn't mean um, going back to not reacting. It doesn't mean we don't respond to things because I think that gets mixed up. Like you just become some sort of peaceful Buddha, not responding to the things around you that need response. But it's a different thing if I'm responding and not reacting. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, because there is there is the gift of presence. You know, there is the gift of just silent witness and presence with someone in the midst of pain and suffering. Um, I've talked to grieving families who've lost loved ones and Mm -hmm. and and, uh, you know, and it's really hard oneself not to uh, have have that key into our own feelings of grief and loss for the things that happened in our lives. And uh, but by the same token, uh, you know, we can actually be silent witnesses and, and let them know that we have an empathetic presence. And um, just recently, I was talking to a woman who trains uh, others in in what are what she's what are called empathy circles, which I think is a fascinating oh. concept. Hmm. Where you actually where you excuse me <clears throat> where you actually sit with people and listen empathetically to the things that they're saying and the things that they're giving out without reacting because our story is 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 not important in this moment and this is why the the buddhist concept of the bodhisattva is so important the bodhisattva is more interested in taking care of and being present for others because they're they're contented and whole in themselves and because they're contented and whole in themselves they have this availability they're available for other people they don't have to accomplish something with that other person they just have to be present and that that openness that, that the person is is embodying in that moment is heaven for that person who needs someone to listen empathetically and to be present in that way i think it's a really powerful way of being with someone and even just to accept somebody else's anger and just and just respond from a place of sincerity i i was talking to a person the other day who was quite upset about something very angry about an injustice that had happened and i and and i had to i had to not feed their story so that they would you know that mm. they could mm-hmm. so they could get a moment of relief from the story and getting that moment of relief from the story for them was a moment of heaven that they were just like, (gasps) you know, and I, you know, I said, I honestly don't know what to say to you because this is such a difficult thing. I, but I just want you to know I'm here for you and I'm here with you. And they said, you don't have to solve this for me. That's how they put it.
0: You're, that and that, that's a really really powerful um point and that is a very feminine uh perspective mm-hmm. and it's probably one of the things I thought uh Kemper was extraordinary at. Uh, I would just walk into an interview with him and literally burst into tears. And there's not a lot of people I am like that with. My mother was about the only other person I would ever do that and it was it was he, his presence. It it was There was just something about when he was with you. And on top of it, he didn't even, at least when I went to the interviews, he always had a translator. So he didn't even speak directly to me. And yet he had such a strong presence that you felt that um, complete, I don't know what it was, it's hard to describe, you know, just that that he was fully there, embodied with you in the moment. And no matter what was going on with you, I, I never felt judged by him. I did get a few lectures but <laughs> they were good they were good i mean they were not i didn't feel like you know put down i don't want to put it like that but but that presence you're right there is something really um, powerful and and maybe it's not emphasized on, enough in our culture
2: oh yeah and you know and it all comes back cuz talking about kempo Karthor Rinpoche, you know he passed away in 2019 right so but a lot of people tell me that they feel they can they can actually summon up sort of the his empathy and presence in their life even now they can they can see it and feel it and this just tells you because you know because of course at the end of the day one says well how do we gain this skill that that people like Kempo Carter rinpoche have and people like the monk and the in the zen story you know how do we gain that composure and 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 ability to to endure and i think it really does it does come from just that almost childlike wish to be of benefit to everyone we meet and just holding that thought Mm. in everything we do like i don't know what to do in this situation but may i benefit you it's just a Mm. silent that we hold inside us and and meditation allows us to extend our capacity to do that and that's what allows people to be angry in our presence and not feel judged and and you know and because because it in that moment in that moment we really are trying to just embody that wish to be present mm. and that wish to be of benefit because people feel that because we 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 speak uh, without words continuously i mean there's non-verbal continue uh, you know non-verbal communication going on continuously and if we cannot judge people with our demeanor and we can just wish for their benefit even if we don't know what to do that's that's a very powerful thing all by itself. It so is.
0: It, it is again, totally.
2: Heaven and hell.
1: Heaven, heaven you know, and hell. Like,
2: <laughs>
1: so we, we
0: have like another maybe two minutes. I did want to thank Sherry and um Joel for listening in. And uh is there anything uh last comment you'd like to make before we head off the show?
2: Yeah, I you know, I want to thank you for uh just thank you for giving uh giving voice to so many people's aspirations. Uh, to uh, to, do, to do better and be better and to find truth. I think that's very important. And I think that, uh, so I appreciate what you're doing. And I also appreciate the idea that we as individuals can make a difference in the lives of others. And I think that even if we don't know how to resolve our own heaven and hell here, what we can do is make the aspiration to be able to, Uh, do be that being in the future who uplifts one person who's feeling low. If we can just reach into that suffering for a moment, be where that person is and help lift them up. That's a powerful thing.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for your support. We love having you here. And thank you all for listening in. Join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a wonderful uh, holiday period we